0: You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. On this Monday, April 25th, we're talking Yankees baseball with Brian Hoke, our Yankees reporter at MLB.com. Brian, thanks very much for joining us uh, this week, and uh, let's start uh, with the game on Sunday. The Yankees coming off of back-to-back wins, but they cannot finish off the sweep as they fall to the Rays 8-1. And Michael Pineda, In the process, made some dubious history, if you will. First pitcher in franchise history to give up four homers and record nine Ks in a game. So he's got that going for him. And uh, in two of his four starts this year, he's given up totals of four and three home runs. In the two starts in between, he's given up none. So I guess this is my very long-winded way of asking you, is this Jekyll and Hyde act going to be kind of what we have with Pineda all season long, no matter what?
1: I mean, based upon what you've seen so far, you would say yes, but obviously Pineda and pitching coach Larry Rothschild are going to try and iron that out and get less so, but uh, you'd like to see more consistency out of a starting pitcher for sure. Uh, that first inning was ugly, uh, He just and it was all location, just leaving the ball right over the middle of the plate, and, and to me, that's a mechanical thing. That's, that's an approach thing. Um, that's the kind of thing that obviously the pitching coach has paid a lot of money to, to iron out and work on, so uh, they're going to be drilling on it pretty hard this week, you can tell. Um, you, you, you don't want to get through an entire season like that. Obviously, one of the things that Pineda has done so well is the strikeout-to-walk ratio, and he hasn't been walking guys. He's been striking out guys like you talked about, but you got to keep the ball in the park, and I know that can be a tough challenge when you pitch at Yankee Stadium. Um, it's been a tough challenge for him and a lot of other places, too, so obviously that's something they got to hammer down on.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, like we said, you just never quite know uh, what side of the coin you're going to get with Michael Pineda. He had that brilliant, I believe, 17K performance last year, which I believe was at home. And then he gives up uh, the four home runs yesterday, a three in his first start of the season. So, Consistency is the name of the game with Michael Pineda. He has not supplied that for the Yankees yet. We'll see what happens in the ensuing starts. And uh, But, Brian, the first two games of the series went much better for the Bombers, uh, beating the Rays in back-to-back games. And I, I find it rather telling that the two biggest contributors to both those wins, Jacoby Ellsbury and uh, Brett Gardner. Now, Ellsbury uh, really sent a jolt through that crowd. Uh, the straight steal of home, first player to do that in pinstripe since uh, Jeter back in 2001. And then, of course, uh, Gardner hit the walk-off homer the following day. Is there still a sense, and we've kind of discussed this in the past, that the production of those two players in particular, Ellsbury and Gardner, is going to be the most important factor towards the success of this lineup, one through nine?
1: I mean, it's huge. I mean, you saw last season, the first six, seven weeks of the year, how dynamic they can be when they're both firing on all cylinders, when they're going together, when they're going good. And, it's only more important now because you're not getting a whole lot of production out of Marcus Chiara. You're not getting the production out of A-Rod in the heart of the lineup. Uh, these are guys that combined for a ton of home runs last year. You're not getting that kind of production right now. So Carlos Beltran's still hitting, but uh, I, I think that obviously if those two are on base and they can generate something, um, that, that's a lot of what the Yankees have been lacking is, is moving guys around, runners in scoring position, but, you have to think that if you keep getting those opportunities, keep getting guys at second and third bases with less than two outs, uh, they, it's going to turn at some point. Uh, that, that's Ellsbury and Gardner's job. That's why they're paying them so much. And uh, No, that was electrifying. I really thought that the Yankees needed that a lot. I thought Ellsbury's steal of home sent a spark through that crowd, uh, through the dugout for sure. It really turned around the weekend for the Yankees, and even though you wind up losing the game on Sunday, uh, they, they really desperately needed those wins on Friday and Saturday, because being swept at home by the Oakland A's, that, that's not something that uh, the Yankees were willing to take.
0: No, not at all. And uh, Brian, for all the games that uh, you've seen from your vantage point in the press box, is there any more singular play more exciting than a steal of home plate uh, from all the games you've seen?
1: it has got to be right up there. I think you could say an inside-the-park home run, you know, maybe a triple, but... Uh, the steal of home is, is pretty awesome, and, and I've been lucky enough to see it twice now with Ellsbury. If you remember, the first time he did it was in 2009 at Fenway Park off Andy Pettit, and in a very similar situation. Uh, I was able to get a better view of this one. Uh, the press box, in stayed him a little less up in the clouds than the one at Fenway. So he watched that whole play develop, and I remember looking at Matt Moore and thinking, I wonder why he's going from the full windup here with Ellsbury on third. He's always a threat to do this. Uh, I've seen him do it once before. Certainly, they knew he was a threat, but uh, Ellsbury saw an opportunity. He took advantage of it, and, you know, this is third base coach Joe Espada was in the clubhouse after the game, and he was doing, it was almost half of victory lap and half of sigh of relief, because uh, it's a risky play. You don't expect to see a guy go 3-2 with two outs. Um, so many things can go wrong there. Obviously, it went right for the Yankees, and they needed that. They needed a whole lot, so... Espada was pretty happy, but I think he was most happy that it worked out.
0: Yeah, like you said, uh, part relief and part excitement there. And when the play does work out, as it did for Ellsbury and the Yankees, uh, quite a jolt through that stadium and the dugout, and Ellsbury played a big role as uh, he did not, did not even start that game because Aaron Hicks got hurt attempting to uh, make a diving catch. He injured his shoulder. What is the latest on him? And also give us an update on the role of Chapman. He's now 14 games away from that suspension being lifted and joining what is already a lights-out bullpen. How
1: about that? Tick, tick, tick. You know, you, you figured 30 games was going to come off the calendar pretty quickly. So, uh, May 9 is the day for Chapman. Uh, as far as we've heard, all systems are go. He's down there. He's dominating these poor kids and the the Gulf Coast League and and pitching in games where admission can't be charged. So uh, he's on the comeback trail, and he's just going to make that bullpen stronger, they think, when he gets there. But uh, as far as Hicks, I'm kind of curious to see if he's going to be able to avoid the DL here. Uh, The shoulder injury, he got a cortisone shot, they said, uh, four to five days with no baseball activity. But the Yankees are in a situation here where they're going to have to play with a 23-man roster if they don't DL Hicks or Alex Rodriguez. Uh, I'm not sure if they can get through this series at Texas without making a move. So uh, they may try, but uh, I I think that sooner sooner rather than later, you're going to need some reinforcements because that's that's really tough to play with two men short on your bench.
0: And, Brian, just to wrap up here, of course, we're all aware of the sad news in the entertainment world. Last Thursday that music icon Prince uh, passed away, of course, very unexpectedly at the age of 57. And we've seen throughout baseball a lot of uh, tributes uh, from – from managers and coaches and players maybe using Prince music as their walk-up music. Any sort of thing like that with the Yankees since Prince's passing?
1: Yeah, I, the day after uh, the Yankees took the field to Let's Go Crazy, I think there were probably 10 or more Prince songs played that day. A lot of it was by Alex Rodriguez. He used a different song for every at that during the weekend. Uh, called it a tribute to one of the great legends. Said he never met him, but uh, just a fan. So, a uh, Alex was a big Prince fan and obviously right in that wheelhouse age-wise as far as, I mean, Prince was one of the, the big entertainers at that time. C.C. Sabathia said he grew up listening to Prince music. He said, if you were an African-American guy in California, uh, you know, you had Prince. You you had a Prince cassette tape or I guess later a compact disc. But, um, yeah, there, some of the older Yankees, for sure, uh, Prince touched them uh, as far as their, their lives. They, they enjoyed that music and uh, the Yankees made some quiet and not so quiet ways to pay tribute to
0: him. Yeah, and, and uh, very uh, tastefully and classily done uh, by the Yankees. Uh, the unfortunate passing of Prince last week again at the age of 57. It's on that note, Brian. Unfortunately, we wrap things up this week, but we thank you for the time. We'll do it again next week. That is Yankees reporter Brian Hope joining us today. Matt Waymeyer signing off in the meantime for MLB.com Extras, New York Yankees.